It's Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Rick Ganley, and this is the New Hampshire News Recap. Let's get into this week's top headlines. Republican lawmakers in the House are proposing a ban on some gender-affirming care surgeries for minors in the state. And HPR reporter Paul Kuno Booth was at the State House to cover the hearing, and he's here with us now. Good morning, Paul. Morning, Rick. Paul, this effort to ban gender-affirming care in the state is not new. What is in this specific bill that lawmakers are proposing? So just to step back, you know, when we're talking about gender-affirming care, we're talking about various types of treatments that aim to support someone's gender transition. That can include therapy, drugs to delay puberty, hormone treatments, as well as some surgeries. This particular proposal would ban gender-affirming genital surgeries, which are often called bottom surgeries for transgender minors. You know, these surgeries are almost never done before age 18. The state's only pediatric gender clinic, Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center, says it doesn't do those surgeries on minors as a rule unless there's some kind of, you know, medical necessity. Um, The measures Republican backers say this is about, you know, protecting young people's health as they see it. But uh, a bunch of people who turned out in opposition to this bill, including trans granite staters and and parents of trans youth, said they see it as part of a sort of much broader attack on trans rights that's uh, playing out in New Hampshire and around the country. Yeah, Paul, how has this effort to to ban gender-affirming care evolved? So this started out as a much broader bill that came forward earlier this year. Um, That version of the bill would have banned, you know, really all forms of gender-affirming medical treatments for trans youth, including things like puberty blockers, hormones that are much more commonly used. Um, at an earlier age. You know, it also would have restricted teaching about gender in schools and um, prohibited trans students from using, you know, the bathrooms that match their gender identities. Um, So so it was a much more sweeping proposal, generated a lot of pushback from, from, um, you know, trans uh, residents of the state as well as medical providers and, and others when it came up. Lawmakers voted to hold on to the bill, work on it over the summer, um, so that the current proposal would actually be an amendment replacing the original bill, taking out all the stuff about schools and and narrowing the restrictions on medical care. The authors of the amendment hope that is enough to move this bill forward. And what are health professionals saying? A number of healthcare organizations testified Tuesday. They were broadly opposed to the measure. You know, they point out that the country's major medical associations, including the um, American Medical Association, the American Academy of Pediatrics, you know, they all support gender affirming care as evidence based. They say that care can be really critical for the mental health of youth. Um, And, you know, they said even though these surgeries are pretty rare that are mentioned in the bill, Um, this would set uh, a sort of dangerous precedent of politicians meddling in evidence-based care. Now, I know this amendment would also revise the language in the state's ban on conversion therapy. Can you remind us what that is and and what would this new proposal change? So conversion therapy is the practice of trying to change someone's gender identity or sexual orientation. Um, It's been rejected by the mainstream medical profession. It's not only ineffective, but also harmful to LGBTQ patients. New Hampshire passed a ban on conversion therapy for minors several years ago. This amendment um, would water that down. It it seems that it would allow conversion therapy if a patient, quote unquote, consents to it. Um, You know, the amendment's lead sponsor says the goal is just to clarify that therapists, you know, can work with teens who are exploring things. But groups representing psychologists and social workers in New Hampshire say that's, you know, already perfectly clear in the existing law and warned against attempts to to sort of weaken it or undermine it. Now, people were protesting the bill outside the statehouse when you were there this week. What were they telling you at the scene? 
That's right. You know, as I said, many of them see this as part of sort of a broader effort to roll back trans rights. You know, one advocate told me, even though, you know, again, this this targets a very narrow range of treatments, it sends this this larger message to the trans community um, as they see it, that, that people can't be trusted to know their own bodies. Uh, one person I spoke to was Eleanor McDonough. She said she recently moved here from Florida to escape what she called an anti-trans climate there. I think it's... Um very surprising to me. New Hampshire, a state that's known for personal freedom, the live free or die state, talking about, you know, removing people's medical freedom. And what's next for this this bill, Paul? As I said, you know, this is an amendment to the original bill. Uh, the committee will likely vote on that amendment in the coming weeks. And then we'll just have to see what they do with, you know, whatever version of the bill comes out of that process. All right. Thank you, Paul. This week was also the beginning of open enrollment, the period when people can start signing up for 2024 insurance plans if they don't get it uh, through their job. Paul, I do want to ask you about that. What are some of the changes that people can expect in, in 2024 plans? That's right. You know, open enrollment started this week. It technically runs through January 15th. But if you want coverage starting on January 1st, the deadline is December 15th. The state insurance department says premiums are up a bit, about 4% on average, although, of course, that varies from plan to plan. Um, the key thing to know is that people, you know, most people qualify for subsidies that make these premiums a lot cheaper. Those subsidies went up during the pandemic, and those increased subsidies are still in effect. So for a lot of consumers, they won't necessarily see a change in what they actually have to pay uh, for health for health insurance if, um, you know, assuming their circumstances haven't changed. Um, one thing to know is that there may be somewhat fewer plans this year. That means even if you are currently enrolled in a plan you like and just sort of want to roll that over into next year, it's still good to double check. If that plan went away, you might be switched to something else. So just make sure that, you know, you're in a plan that works for you. I'm wondering about some some help, though, for, pe for people who are confused by all this, Paul. If you need help getting coverage or, or changing plans, what, what should people do? Yeah, it, it can be quite confusing and there's a lot to this. So there are a couple organizations that can help people with this for free. New Hampshire Navigator is one. Another is Health Market Connect. Um, you can find them online, figure out how to connect with them. Um, and of course, to, to look for a plan, healthcare.gov. Okay. Paul Kuno Booth is the health and equity reporter for NHPR. Thank you, Paul. Thanks, Rick. It is Morning Edition here on NHPR. We're recapping this week's news with NHPR reporters. Now, municipal elections for many New Hampshire communities are taking place on Tuesday, and NHPR's Josh Rogers is keeping an eye on the mayoral race in Manchester, the state's largest city, and he joins us now. Morning, Josh. Good morning, Ryan. So, Josh, the race is between Democrat Kevin Kavanaugh and Republican Jay Ruay. How are these candidates positioning themselves to voters? Well, you know, municipal elections are technically nonpartisan, um, but in some way, uh, these two candidates are, are, you could see them as kind of off the rack members of their party. Uh, Kevin Kavanaugh, the Democrats, uh, incumbent alderman, former state senator, he has deep union ties, and he's really stressing his record, um, you know, in the, serving the city in public office and, and, and as a former coach and, and really stressing continuity with uh, former mayor, or well, outgoing mayor, rather, Joyce Craig. In Jay Rue, you have a former Republican staffer uh, who serves in the National Guard, uh, really stressing change. Uh, Rue has also worked to leverage his personal experience as someone recovering from alcohol, uh, alcoholism, which, you know, is potentially relevant uh, in Manchester, given some of the issues facing the community around substance use issues. So, you know, that's new, but mostly this election is really giving voters a pretty much straight up partisan choice. And in theory, uh, Kevin Kavanaugh should have the edge simply based on the political makeup 
of the city. There are more Democrats than Republicans in Manchester. But Rue has uh, he's run an energetic campaign and uh, the issue and voters uh, and candidates uh, see as key in this race, dealing with homelessness, uh, housing issues, drugs, public safety, education. Uh, these are things that could drive a decent turnout. So it'll, it will be interesting to see where Manchester voters land. Are there places where they both agree when it comes to, to Manchester's future? Uh, well, they certainly agree on the priorities, uh, the issues that I really just mentioned, and also that, that Manchester, in their estimation, could use a lift. They, they've talked about being cheerleaders for the city. I mean, this is a time when Manchester is growing in population and economically. But, you know, if you spend any time in the city, you can see the challenges right there on the street. I mean, certainly on the homelessness front, on issues around mental health, drugs, and related issues. And they all say those need to be tackled. There are some differences in how they propose doing that, but they're they're in pretty lockstep agreement in terms of what needs to be done. Okay, so they're both being cheerleaders for the city, but other politicians have been disparaging Manchester. How are, how are those politicians using Manchester and their political strategy? Well, uh, Republican candidates for governor, uh, both Chuck Morse and Kelly Ayotte, are both really you know, taking aim at Manchester quite frequently as they campaign. Part of this is because Joyce Gregg, the outgoing mayor, uh, current mayor, is running for governor. Uh, so there's that. But but their point does seem to be broader. Uh, you know, Morris, for instance, likes to say, we are not going to let or I will not let New Hampshire become Manchester. Or, you know, Kelly Ad talks about a revolving door of uh, parolees causing crime, um, people out on bail. You could call that a critique of the city they claim is out of control. Uh, You could also see it as sort of, you know, kind of an othering of the state's uh, largest city, uh, you know, standing separate from from the rest of the state. Um, You know, they are running in a Republican primary, and uh, Joyce Craig is the better known of the two Democrats running. So, you know, really dissing Manchester is probably not going to hurt them. But the implication of we don't want New Hampshire to be like Manchester, you know, some can hear a dog whistle in this. It's a city that does have city problems. Uh, It also has a more diverse population uh, racially than other parts of the state. And, you know, this line of attack can feel like those things are are being conflated. I mean, the the Republicans would say this is not the case. But, you know, some people have told me they hear it that way. Well, what are Manchester residents' reactions to, to that kind of rhetoric? Well, it depends on who you talk to. I mean, you know, there are certainly lots of people who have deep concerns about the issues sort of implicated in the Republican critique that, you know, the cities, you know, the streets can feel out of control. I mean, Mayor Craig would say crime has actually gone down. She's put more police on the streets and that, you know, issues like homelessness in particular are ones that, you know, most cities are facing in some form these days. Um, but, you know, I think we can expect this line of attack to continue uh, through 2024. And, you know, it'll probably intensify should Joyce Craig make it out of the Democratic primary. She faces executive counselor Cindy Warmington. And, and I'm not sure her making it out of that primary is a sure thing. Um, you know, both gubernatorial primaries this year, I think, are going to be interesting to watch. Turning to 2024 election news, New Hampshire Democrats launched a campaign to get voters to write in President Joe Biden during the state's presidential primary. Josh, tell us why we're in a situation like this where we have a sitting president relying on a write-in campaign in his party's primary election. Okay. So, you know, as you know, Joe Biden, um, you know, he backed a a rejiggering of the uh, primary calendar, making South Carolina the first state to vote. You know, we have our state law that says New Hampshire will vote first. That law is going to be followed. Uh, There was filing period open for candidates. And uh, to the surprise of few, uh, Joe Biden chose not to file here on the grounds that Democratic rules that he supports would forbid him from doing so. Um, And... um, 
you know, so he's not on the ballot. Democrats here are worried about the possibility of him losing to one of the candidates who is on the ballot. That would be Marianne Williamson. And uh, as of last Friday, uh, Dean Phillips, a Minnesota congressman. And um, they want to make sure Biden appears as strong as possible and to demonstrate that Democrats here do want him to run. Some of that is, is generated at, uh, is directed at uh, trying to uh, make sure the primary looks legitimate in the hopes that, you know, we can uh, sort of again um, win the imprimatur of Democrats to hold the first primary. Um, and some of that is just a fear that anything that weakens Biden will will uh, make it less likely that he get reelected. And that's something a lot of Democrats uh, don't want to do. So, um, um, you know, establishment Democrats want to ensure that Biden yeah. has a comfortable win here. And uh, that's what they're trying to do, sign as many voters up as possible to commit to write Biden in on the ballot. And probably, get, probably get some enthusiasm to get people to show up to the polls, too, I imagine. Yeah, that's yeah. that's that's what they're hoping. Has there ever been any writing campaigns like this before that you know of in a state primary? Has there anything been, uh, you know... Well, in, in 1968, you know, President Johnson um, was not on the ballot. He was he mm -hmm. was at the time seeking re-election. It was during Vietnam War. He was not going to be formally bothering with running here. It wasn't on the ballot. Um, Minnesota Senator Eugene McCarthy got in this race, anti-Vietnam uh, platform, picked up steam. And, you know, top Democrats with, with Johnson's blessing did urge people to write um, Johnson in. Johnson did win the New Hampshire primary. It was closer than people thought, and it did ultimately okay. trigger his ultimate exit from from the presidential race. Okay, so, so there's there president that. here. There okay. is that. Yeah, all right. Thank you. NHPR's Josh Rogers, thanks for joining us this morning. You're welcome, Rick. You can find more of his work and all of the stories we talked about this morning at NHPR.org. And of course, we're here with a fresh recap next Friday. I'm Rick Ganley. This is NHPR.